Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. I crawled through the Facebook group to look for questions that I think were a bit juicy to talk about on today's episode. And one of those questions was someone who had a really good income, were in their 30s, and had money going to savings, had money going into one platform over here with an ETF, one platform over there with an ETF, and they just wanted some clarity. So we're going to unpack that. And it really does speak to the quality of stuff that's out there that will enable us to have access to investing, right? So we know one thing, investing, it is so easily accessible, but we need to go one step further and then need to make sure that we pick a horse, be it a platform, and we pick an investment strategy. And I know a lot of the time, we can kind of get a little bit confused with what horse that we're riding as opposed to what race we're riding in. I don't know why I'm using a horse analogy. I know nothing about horse racing. All this to say I'm making no sense, but we just need to understand the platform is less important than your investment strategy. So we're going to unpack all that today. Also in the podcast, you'll hear that we have finally announced the book that I have been working on. And I have been working on that book with Shelly Johnson from the My Millennial Career Podcast. That book is called Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. It's a co-written book. It's up available to purchase now. It's going to print at the end of the year, so it'll be out early next year. But just as housekeeping and as a way that you can support us with how we are launching this book, it's like around $30 or under, right? So if you really want to make a change in your career and you want to invest in helping our show and helping your career, if I can get you to buy that book sooner than later, it will just help us with the print run and because it's different to the Sort Your Money Out book. The publishers, they're amazing, but they're just not using the Sort Your Career Out book the same way that they were commercially using the Sort Your Money Out book and going to the mass, mass, mass market because personal finance is more popular and sexy than boring careers, am I right? So let's prove them wrong. If I can get you to jump in, select a pre-order, flick $30, we'll put some link in the show notes today, The book will be out early next year, so you can set your year up to win. We'll share more about it over the coming weeks. But that book is called Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. We'll get into today's show now. It's John and I. We have a great chat today. But please, if you do want to get your career more focused and more intentional in the new year, please jump online, Amazon Booktopia, or there's links in the show notes, or wherever you buy your books online sort your career out and make more money. And I can tell you right now, I'm more happy with this book than the last one and it's a better book. But thank you for your support all the same. Okay, bye. Welcome back to Tuesday. John Pigeon, host of the My Millennial Property Podcast. We're coming in hot, John, with a property question today. We are. Nick Clare says, hello. So I'm buying... My first place, it's regional. Congratulations. Anyway, I put an offer in on the place but was not provided a section 32 and we'll get to that. Therefore, some information such as being on town water was confirmed by the agent. An expression of interest slash offer from us was accepted and I have been supplied with the contract of sale along with the section 32. However, Reading it, we aren't on town water, rather it comes from a tank. Can you withdraw your offer at this period as a contract for sale hasn't been signed? So talk us through, John, conceptually, regional or not for now, we can talk about the tank water and all that, Mm. regionally or not, and the caveat that it is different in every state, 
I want to buy a house and I'm at an open home or buyer's agent or advocate and I, I see something I like, what's the actual process? Yeah, so generally speaking, the first port of call would be to request a copy of the contract and or the Section 32. Like Section 32 is common for New South and Vic. Um, other states can be different. But basically the, the Section 32 is to provide anything specific to that property. So the contract is generally pretty standard, but then the Section 32 says, well, okay, what's the zoning? What are the outgoings? What's what's the title number? What's its uh, land use? Is a, is a, a bushfire danger? Is there anything that we need to be aware of before we buy this thing? So that accompanies the contract. So you should get both of them at the same time. Um, but basically we would have those looked over by the conveyancer uh, or your conveyancer and they would provide feedback on what's in there, what we need to be aware of, i.e. it's in a bushfire zone. Um, so once you've got that looked over, you might then decide to put in an offer and that offer might be subject to uh, building and pest or satisfactory building and pest inspection or um, satisfactory finance approval. And that might be five days, seven days, 10 days, whichever you think is going to work well for you and protect you, but also be appealing to the to the vendor. And you've got that due diligence period to get all that sorted. Um, you might put down a 0.25 deposit. They might require that. Um, I personally don't like to put down too much money um, until I've done a lot of the research, but in a hot market, you might be forced to. And that's fully refundable should you decide to pull out because of one of those conditions within that cooling off period. So that 2.25, when I purchased my first home, that 0.25, it went into the real estate's trust account and then they issued the so and basically then they say okay we'll just take it we won't show anyone else it or whatever at the moment you yep. hope then what happens is my conveyancer looks over the contracts and you've got as you said a couple of days or a week or whatever yeah if i wanted to pull out in a hot market you're saying most of the time the agents would just go there's your money but you're not on the hook to go unconditional, sign the contract and do all the things. Yeah, correct. But in this situation, it just sounds like it's just maybe been a sloppy agent not knowing the property or not having seen the Section 32 themselves. Yes, call it sloppy or something else, but I think you would generally receive the Section 32 for that particular property accompanying the contract. So yeah, they, they should be, unless there's a situation where it might be off market and they just haven't prepared all of that because the conveyance has only been assigned yesterday. So yeah. there, there could be those situations and you just need to be flexible of that. But yeah, you, you've hopefully done a lot of research in the lead up to that. Um, but yeah, there may be times where it hasn't come along yet, but you definitely wouldn't be signing a contract if you haven't seen the section 32 and you also wouldn't be putting any money down and you would also have conditions that allow you a cooling off period of, uh, yeah, anywhere to from five to 10 days generally. Yeah. And you're just not doing any of this stuff uh, if you're not under the care of a conveyancer yeah, in correct. your state, basically. Yeah. And if in doubt, ask your mortgage broker for a recommendation to a good conveyancer, chat with them, get them to explain the process. Because for people like me, if you're wired my way, I need to totally understand just the mechanical process. So I can be like, all right, we're here. I'm not on the hook. I'm not overwhelmed. So speak to your conveyancer. Uh, they, may, they may do a thing where if you are looking for a first home or two, the conveyancer might say, yeah, we charge you a fee and they might tentatively run their eyes over a contract to give you some, you know, which way the wind's blowing, like, yeah, we think that's good to go. And then when it exchanges, then they, I don't know. How does that work, John, with conveyancer? Like, I'm just trying to think out loud here mm -hmm. because if you're buying property and particularly if you're a, a, a home buyer in an auction market, you want to send the contracts to the conveyancer 
and make sure that you're happy with it and that the, the vendor's happy with it if you're the winner, right? Yeah, that's right. So, so it could got, cost you $1,000 each auction that you go to. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, sort of. Um, and I think that's the power of, of having good team members in your corner is we've got a client at the moment who's looking across a number of different properties and, and therefore getting a number of different contracts looked at by their conveyancer. But up front, we said, okay, if we look at three or four contracts, is that okay? Is it still going to be the one fixed price? Yes, it is. But if it's if it exceeds this number, then we're going to have to charge you extra. So asking good questions at the start and also having a good conveyancer in your corner that knows that you're not just going to buy the first thing you see. Yeah. And if in doubt, like for me, when I bought my first property, it was like seven o'clock at night when, and I was working near the real estate agent anyway. And they said, oh, okay. Yeah. They've accepted the offer. We need you to come into the office and sign this and put down a 0.25. Yeah. And my lawyer always said, don't sign anything without talking to me. <laughs> so just remember people, you are not under any pressure to be pressured into anything. If it is 6 or 7 p.m. and the real estate agent's like, oh, you need to sign this to tell them, yep, happy to do that tomorrow. I just need to talk with my conveyancer yeah. to understand the process. So it's totally. okay to press pause on things if you don't understand. Now, a couple of things that's a learning thing from this we know now that Nick, when she's looking at her regional properties, guess what she's really going to confirm when she like goes in and it's the town water thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and, it must be and, very regional. Is that right? Uh, look, on the outer, outer lying areas of towns, there's sometimes a, that might have been an acreage property that's, sure. that yeah has always been there because it was five minutes from town 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So now it's now it's classed as middle suburbia yeah. <laughs> but so, what just on that and and digressing a little um absolutely you need to talk to a conveyancer in your state and w we might sound a little vague because it is different in every state but there's a 66w if you if you've got a 66w thrown in front of you and you sign that uh, that 66W is a binding unconditional contract. So if you're getting a 66W certificate um, in front of you and the and the the agent saying, "Yep, sign this and it's yours," uh, there's no cooling off period with with a 66W. So just be aware of that. Which again, your con uh, your conveyancer would assess that when um, you you send it to them anyway. I think what we're saying, John, like you're not signing anything. Number one, if you're unsure, and then the umbrella over that. Mm. Number two, if you're not guided by your conveyancer or legal team. Yeah, correct. Like it's a non it's a non starter for me. I don't sign anything that I'm not sure of. Yeah. As simple as that. So yeah, ordinarily if a verbal offer has been accepted, you call the real estate agent and say, Oh, that regional property will give you four twenty or whatever the price is in that regional town that's on tank water. And the agent calls back, says, yep, they've accepted 420. And then over the course of the next two days, you see the paperwork and it says, hang on, it's on town water. Mm. They told me it wasn't. If you haven't signed anything, you're not on the hook for anything. No, no, that's correct. Yeah. And in a hot market, they may put 66 Ws in front of you to get it done quickly and move on. Um or they, you may be emotionally wrapped up in the fact that you want this property because it is a hot market and you've missed out in the last five. Uh, don't, yeah, don't don't put the cup before the horse. Yeah, which is all good to throw a 66W in front of me, but I'm still not signing it until my conveyancer has given me the verbal and explained to me in my state, in my circumstances, whether there's a coal mine underneath it, whether there's power lines, whether you know there's about to be a freeway built next door, all of that stuff. Yeah. So, and that's where like having these road checkpoints in your life will really, really help you and it will help you with the emotional thing. So if you've got house fever and we've all got it, I might have it a little bit at the moment, as John would know when he sends me a report every second day. When you've got house fever, if you still hang your hat on, I do not sign squat until my conveyances looked at something, 
even at the local real estate office and she's a great friendly agent and he's a good guy and all that, I'm still, I don't sign anything until I've actually talked with my conveyancer. Yep. And if they can't wait overnight, if it's a little bit after hours, tell them politely to bugger off. Yep. Politely. That last uh, statement is interesting from Nick. She says the internet is super confusing, Mm. isn't it? Like 20 years ago when I first started investing, we didn't have to worry too much about it uh, because there was – there was not enough knowledge out there. Now there's too much knowledge and, and too many so-called experts. So it does get overwhelming when you try and get Dr. Google to solve your situation. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it might sound like we are adding to the noise, but don't listen to us. Listen to your own <laughs> campaigns are in your state. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's what we can learn here. Okay. This one was an anonymous question. In the Fizzle group, Face Bizzle, hello, MMM fam, prayer hands. Actually, that emoticon, I think he's two hands clapping. If you uh, if you want to look at the history of that. I wish I started investing earlier. I'm now 37 and realizing it's never too late. And that's an awesome statement. It is never too late. Unless maybe on your deathbed, might be too late. Forget about it. That was Glenn adding that, not this uh, anonymous person. Thanks to forums and podcasts such as My Millennial Money, uh, just a big massive thank you. So these are the spots that I've been investing and would love to get your thoughts. Each week, $250 into Raise, the Emerald portfolio, $40 a week into the ETF Vanguard MSCI Index International through Sharesies. Through Sharesies, also $160 per week into an S&P 500 fund. So I would imagine, you know, two ETFs there. And then the fourth is savings in a bank account, $500 per week. My questions were, should I focus on just raise or Sharesies? And the second one, should I focus on a single ETF? I feel my approach is quite haphazard so I'd appreciate any feedback. Have a lovely week and purple love heart. So, John, <laughs> you're a professional expert in ETFs and share accounts. Absolutely. Do you have any take on this before I start to give my comments? I think high level, uh, well done for taking action now and having the mindset that it is never too late. 37, average person lives in Australia around 85, as long as you look after yourself. So there's a good 50 years nearly to to make an impact. Uh, And there's a good 50 grand a year being put away into these investment types. So well done. That's um, that's the main part of all of this is we've got a, a, a cash flow savings plan that says this is how much I'm keeping and I'm going to invest it. Where you invest it, is up to you and your interests and your research and your knowledge and your outsourcing and everything else. Yeah, 100%. So let's just have a look at what we've got at the moment. So the $250, well, we've carved out $450 a week into equity investing and the 500 in cash in bank savings. So awesome, you've got $950 a week left over. I mean, killing it. That's so good. Amazing. So the 450 a week that is going into equities via raise and shares is a couple of things. Uh, I'll comment just for people at home. The raise Emerald portfolio, that is their uh, ESG, uh, environmental, social and governance responsible investment portfolio. And the RAISE website says the Emerald portfolio provides investors exposure to large ESG Australian and global companies with top holdings primarily including technology and health companies. There's a breakdown, uh, 38% in Australian large cap, and they basically use the Russell Australian Responsible Investing ETF, uh, which you can buy direct yourself, Uh, 38% there, 34% global large sustainability leader stocks uh, through the BetaShares Global Sustainability ETF, ETHI, Australian government bonds and Australian money market. 
So it's a it's a good balanced portfolio. I don't mind it. I like the idea of uh, one-stop shops to cover all bases. On shares is your ETFs, the Vanguard MSCI International Index. Uh, I would assume that's the X Australia. So you've got an international index of shares excluding Australia, and then the S and P five hundred. You don't you haven't told us what ETF it is. But you're going to be heavily invested to North America with those two things. So really, to answer your question, should I focus on Rays or Sharesies? There's two things going on here. Should I focus on Rays or Sharesies? And should I focus on a single ETF? So you first ask the question, what platform should I use? And then what investment option should I use within? My kind of guiding light with this type of stuff, it really gets to the point, what provider do you like? So for example, we know with Raise, it's effectively Raise is the platform and it's Raise portfolios. So it's a one-stop shop for investing, but the portfolios are Raise. I can't jump into the Raise portfolio, John, and say, I want to buy $20,000 of ETHI. So you are restricted there. There are some other cool stuff with the raise apps like roundups and the raise rewards and all that cool stuff. In terms of like fees, effectively bugger all, like there are going to be some fee differences, but I'm just not having the fee discussion right now. But shares is, it's effectively a full service broker. It's a custodian relationship. So you can jump in by any A200 or ASX share on the uh, shares account uh, Sharesies probably has a little bit more flexibility with what you want to do. Uh, so I would literally have a look at the product disclosure statement of the Raise Emerald portfolio. If you're happy with that, that's okay to double down because you've got good exposure to Australian equities and global equities, and you may have a kink for responsible investment. You might then go, well, I'm not happy with Raise, so I'll do it a DIY vibe in shares is, I'm a big fan of one-stop shop portfolios. A couple of weeks ago, I did a review top five ETFs. You guys told us all the ETFs that you use and I ranked them from uh, five, four, three, two and the most popular one. Uh, and you can have a listen to that. But for example, within your raise portfolio, it has an allocation to ETHI, which is the Global Large Cap Sustainability Leader Stock. So you could have a look at that and go, I really like that portfolio. I'll just invest in that direct. But then you haven't got the Australian exposure. What you might want to do is look at some one-stop shops that do offer a blended portfolio like the Emerald portfolio and beta shares, for example, that you can buy on sharesies, but you can't on raise. They've got a portfolio called DZZF, which is the beta shares ethical diversified high growth ETF. And uh, 40% is the United States, uh, 32% is Australia, and they kind of have their screening there of ethical funds because I assume that you're interested in ethical funds. So coming back to the group member's question, do you bother with two different platforms, Raise and Sharesies, and, and, and just own that and continue to do what you've done there and, and fully invest? Or do you, do you say, well, no, I'm going to keep it to one platform and, and just keep it more uh, simple? Well, this is the thing. I mean, if you're spending less than you earn and you're investing the rest, if this person did this forevermore, they're not going to be disappointed in 20 years. You know what no. I mean? Because they're yeah. investing. The purest in me is like, well, we probably do need a little bit more of a strategic asset allocation, which means some science behind whether it's, for example, the DZZF strategic asset allocation says we're putting at least 40% in international equities and 32.3% at the moment in Australian shares. So you know with these portfolios in a box, they will rebalance the portfolio and each quarter it stays in line with the strategic asset allocation. So for this, just looking at it, very, very heavy international equities and there probably isn't much defensive exposure. So 
Do you, do you want like defensive exposure is is relative to age and and risk profile? Yeah. Yeah, but what it can do, it can actually just smooth out the returns of the portfolio. So often over like a seven year period, if there's been a downturn in the market, sometimes a more conservative portfolio will do better than a 100% growth portfolio for that with that defensive portion there. So my long and the short of this is learn more about the individual investment options and learn more about having an asset allocation that is balanced. And I mean balanced across Australian equities, international equities. You might want to say, oh, I'm, I'm happy to be 100% growth, but I personally would be looking at the one platform, be it Ray's or Sharesies. I mean, heaps of people use Ray's and heaps of people use Sharesies. Mm. There's no right or wrong. It's just yeah. whatever you prefer. But I personally am more interested in having less investment accounts than multiple. Just for like end of the financial year, I only need to get a statement from Ray's or a statement from Sharesies. Yeah. So if you throw your hands in the air and say, oh, I actually don't know what I'm doing here, then you might just go and speak to someone who's been doing it longer than you with, with good outcomes. Yeah. I mean, like realistically, there's what, around 50 grand a year of surplus money in this person's life, they can afford some advice. It doesn't have to be ongoing forevermore. It could be once off. Uh, I would probably also step back and say, what are our goals? Because all this stuff is around goals. Like the $500 savings per week could be saving for a new lounge. It could be for a new holiday. It could be saving for an emergency fund. And I'd probably stop all investing until the emergency fund is saved up. Um, there could be a discussion here about, okay, we've well, got 450 a week that's going into the market. Can we put 200 of that or 100 of that into superannuation for tax-effective accumulation of wealth for the long term? Yeah, so, so personal situation. So t- what's your annual income? That's right. So my end of the story is probably pick one. And should I focus on a single ETF? Well, if you want your investing to be easy, low touch, where I just shovel money into the one option that's diversified and internally rebalanced, yes. But if you like having some hands-on stuff, if you like investing and want to be interested in it, you may choose to, for example, get a fund like, I'm just picking here, it's on the screen, DZZF, and put 80% of money, my money in that as my core portfolio and then say, well, I'm interested in investing. I might get a couple of other satellite ETFs to invest in, which might be a bit more uh, technology or some weird lithium thing or you know what I mean, John? So mm. it really de- it depends. Part of the goals, I think, in financial planning is how hands-on do you want to be with your investing and your money? Yeah, but would you also say that you've just got to find a strategy and and stick to it and just not not set and forget, but just own it and and not try and chase something that's potentially better? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Oh, the, the winner here is it's a good discussion about what to do and it just goes all back to goals. I, I would strongly suggest, okay, here, here we go. Here's my final thing and then we've got to move on. You're 37-year-old, you're well-established in your career because you've got a grand a week left over, right, that you're not consuming. Now is a good time to get some advice, personal advice. Yeah. Because you've built your career, you're 37. Well, yeah. Some of us have at that age. Um, some of us haven't too. <laughs> Could be still living at home. That's right. And we need – well, and this is why Maybe. you need some personal goals because if you're still living at home – and paying mummy and daddy $200 a week for some rent, you're living a false economy. So we need to really make sure that you are setting your life up for you. And I don't want you to be putting $450 in the market a week if you've got to move out in three months and need some money to furnish a place or a bond or, you know what I mean? So, yeah. No, yeah. It's good. It's wild. All right. Good. Gosh, it's wild. We'll have a break and we'll be back right after this. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, welcome back. Each week, when we remember, we read out stuff that you say in the Facebook group. We asked, most recent thing you learned about managing money? John, what are some things that people said? So, Deepika uh, Gua, apologies if I pronounced that incorrectly. It's more about what you do with the money you earn than how much you earn. Isn't that true? Amen. Scott Beasley, it does eventually get better and all your hard work does pay off eventually. Yep. Michelle Lee, pay attention to lifestyle creep. Put your bonus straight into a separate account. It adds up. Totes. Sean Matt, know how much you need to be comfortable and then don't get stuck trying to build up more wealth. You're better living a comfortable life and enjoying your money than being exceptionally wealthy but stuck at home for fear of reckless spending. Yeah, sometimes we just need to take the foot off the old accelerator. Yeah, and, and interesting, that got the most likes out of what I'm reading anyway. Mm. So, a bit of support there from Sean's advice. Uh, Ebony McKitterick, one thing you'll always get more of is money. The one thing you won't get more of is time. And good looks. <laughs> Jay Sini, it's not what you own, but what you control. And then Ange jumped in and also said, you control it, it doesn't control you. Ange McCullough says, automate everything. And G. Roller Robinson, save more for a rainy day, i.e. emergency funds work. So there you go. That's what you've learned about money. Let's take us out of this segment, Nate. All right. Sammy Dobbin. Hey, all. Just seeing if anyone else has the same struggles. I am usually a get a coffee before work every day kind of gal, But since small takeaways are now averaging around $6 a pop, I can't justify it. So I get to work and make instant coffee and all these emoticons. But it's so hard to break the habit, even though I know it's a waste of money. Please tell me I'm not alone. Hashtag coffee addict. You are not alone. But I have a solution for you. What we need to do is first, and I'm going somewhere with this. It's a shameless plug and I'm not getting paid for it, but I know everyone will benefit from it. What you need to do, Sammy, is somehow wean yourself off milk coffee. I know that's hard. I know it's very hard. Then, if you're already a black coffee drinker, Glee Coffee Roasters, friends of the show, and they're at Sydney at our live event, and we gave away all this stuff, and you have a look at their Instagram, they've got these new products where... They're really cheap and it makes coffee so cheap and you open the little sachet. It's like a bougie coffee pod. Put it in the cup. Nathan took these up to America. Pour hot water over it and it kind of brews right there in front of you. 
So you get a really nice coffee and it's really cheap, nicer than pods. So it's like uh, disposable filters and they're in organic matter, um, really cost-effective. And maybe you could just add some milk with it to start. So we'll put a link in the show notes, but if you're interested in that, they sold out their first run and they're doing some really cool single origins in these um, portable things. Asher texted me the other day. He's like, oh, do you have a Glee coffee hookup? They've sold out. And I asked Chris the other day. He's like, no, we've sold out. But that's a really good way if you like good coffee. Now, for me, just on that, and I do want to read this from a like also a serious point. Somehow, the habit is hard to break. Now, it's I personally think it's the habit of going to the shop, having that stop on the way to work integration. How can we somehow change that up and scratch the itch some way else? Is it getting to work and then saying to some workmates, all right, I've got these Glee coffee pods or can we say to the workplace, hey, if a heap of us staff members chip in and buy a good machine or I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, but how can we still turn the experience into something that we enjoy and make it cheaper. I don't know. Yeah. First of all, I'd say $6 for a small coffee is, uh, where are we buying coffee? That it, uh, it's, it's an expensive cough, isn't it? Well, it, it's the world we live in at the moment, John. Yeah. Any case, yeah, you're right. The habits, you've just got to confuse your body and your mind and, and say, well, okay, if I walk to work, walk a different way so you don't go past the coffee shop or uh, drive a different way or or just um, eat some food instead of a drink of coffee. I, I actually have had the same problem, Sammy, and so I'm with you on that. You are not alone. I've tried to reduce my intake by 66% for the week. So I've, I've been averaging, well, prior to the last fortnight, three coffees a day. And for me, that was just way too much. It was out of control. Um, so not necessarily the finance aspect of it, but just the, I don't know, I felt my, myself just getting more anxious and um, not as clear thinking. And um, so- the, Would you the, buy those coffees, sorry? Oh, probably one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a coffee machine at home and I was making two of those before work. So I've, I've said non-negotiable, I'm making one and I'm getting the hell out of there. So that's been working okay. But then that second one I'm trying to wean off as well when I am at work. So mm. navigating your, your way through what you can do and, and uh, having a coffee machine in your office I don't, I don't think does fix the issue. It doesn't for us anyway in our office. Um, it, it actually makes it worse but I think yeah, I, I don't know I was kind of thinking on the fly yeah no and it's it's good to do that I think it's just yeah just doing something that's um that's confusing your mind and then what I also do now because I too have been really trying to I was doing three coffees a day and I'm trying a heap of lifestyle changes because I'm actually need to change my life like I've stopped um I was taking Somac every day for reflux uh, I've stopped taking that now. Um, just diet control. Like I do one coffee, one or two coffees a day, not three now. Um, don't really drink. Like I've, you'll be happy to know everyone who's a listener for some time. I got a bit addicted there for, f- to Coke, no sugar, particularly through COVID and <laughs> all that. I've now you just on I, Coke. I, I haven't had one for, <laughs> yeah, now I'm just straight onto the nose beers. Um, I haven't drank that, drunk or drank or whatever. Uh, for probably six months. Um, so for me, and like, so now I, um, I might have one coffee day and then in the afternoon I'll have a, a, a black tea with some milk. Uh, but what I do with the coffee, and it's so cheap, like I still like going out for a coffee, but with Glee Coffee, and we will put a link in the show notes or you can Google Glee Coffee Roasters, I pay for their coffee subscription, John, and you can log onto their website and I think it's like $26 per delivery of single origin and I can select the frequency. So every three weeks, they automatically ship one to me and debit my account and it's yep. a different uh, single each time. So, and that's a really delicious copy. But anyway, we'll move on. I just wanted to just give Sammy the the nod there and to promote my friend's businesses um, <laughs> yes. because whatever. 
Yeah, it is is good coffee for sure. Um, well done for trying instant coffee. Of uh, well, I was back on the farm and um, had a few of those. And the old topsoil, uh, they call it. <laughs> well, you just it's that ordinary that you have to put five sugars with it. So it's actually a, a negative effect on your health. Yeah. Do you want to read the question from Lisa? Lisa says, "Hi." MMM team, my partner and I were successful at auction this weekend and are buying our first house together. Yes, well done. Along with feeling all the joyful emotions of excitement, pride, relief, there's also a sense of panic. Thoughts going through my mind are, will we like the place after moving in? Should we have tried to time the market? Especially after reading articles about house prices dropping even more next year, should we have waited next year? Will our place devalue drastically? Did you guys feel the same after buying your property? Would love to hear your experiences to help calm my farm. Hashtag property. Thanks, Lisa Chen, uh, who wrote that in the Facebook group. And just as housekeeping, everyone, if you don't ever want your name read on a podcast, just write a non please or something like that. You're right there. John's typing away. I can yeah. hear his little keys tapping along. What are you he writing, there, like Johnson? Um, well, I'm just actually finding an article that I read during the week. Uh, it actually came out through RP data that said like 90% or 80% of Australia's house prices have dropped in the last month or two months, whatever it is. And the devil's in the detail, Glenn. So when you actually read this article, what it's saying is that that percentage is correct, but it's for capitals only, capital cities. So it didn't discuss any regional markets whatsoever, but the headline is what we're forced to read and we take that as gospel. If we haven't got time to read the article, we don't understand what it means and we just, uh, next barbecue we go to, oh, did you hear that? all properties in Australia are going down in value. Well, no, that's not the case. Um, back to Lisa's question. It's like, well, okay, you've bought the property or questions or thoughts. Um, it's done. We can't do anything about it now. If the market drops by 5%, 10% in the next 12 months and you could have bought something 10% cheaper, well, we can't do anything about it. So it's if it's going to be a long-term buy and hold, that's just just stop reading news articles, stop jumping on realestate.com. You own your house. Hopefully you like it when you move in and live happily ever after, but control the controllables. So we're, we're pr a lot of those thoughts are very common thoughts for us as investors or homeowners. I get that. So you're not alone there, uh, but we can't do anything about what we've already done from a property sense. Glenn? Yeah, you said I, I kind of wrote down two things that ha are happening here, and John's talked about the facts of it. It's like, well, you've asked these questions, like, should we have waited, and all this stuff. Well, no matter now, you're in. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, and that's just one thing. Like, you can't live in the what if, or if only. So I always say that. So that's the facts of it. The black and white. It's too late. It's awesome. You'll be fine. You're gonna love the house. Congratulations. Enjoy it. So the other side is this emotion thing. And what you've experienced right now is what us humans experience. So welcome to humanity. I'm your host. The feeling you're feeling now, humans, us humans, we get these feelings when big life events happen. I'm sure many of you who have had kids have these feelings like, oh crap, how am I going to afford to do this? Oh crap, is this right? Some of you might have had this feeling like, oh dear, I've just been married. I've just done this or I've just had a divorce. Um, I've just got a new job or I've just been made redundant or I've just started a business. So all these big life events, it's just like dropping a bomb on your emotions because it's so different and it's so new and it's so unknown. So bringing it right back to your question, Lisa, it's okay to feel these emotions. It's totally okay. And what you will do one day, you will be able to say to someone else who's going through this when they've purchased their first home, hey, we felt the same, we got through it. But strictly on a money side, just for the next three months, don't try and particularly what John said, just keep off domain and all that stuff, you're done. Like enjoy the house. But don't try and 
build, rebuild your financial strategy and your budget and your spending plan and all that in the next three months. You've just had the biggest life change ever. So just spend some time to get used to that. If your budget's a bit sloppy and, oh, we were at Bunnings and we had to buy an extra hose or we wanted to fill up the pantry and things are a bit sloppy for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, that's called life and we're living it. So just take all that financial pressure off. Just make sure you don't go into consumer debt buying furniture. So along with all the joyful emotions and excitement, pride, relief and all that stuff that you've got, Panic is just another emotion and you're just feeling everything. So we're just here to say it's okay. Take the pressure off. Don't worry about trying to save money tomorrow and worry about just enjoy, be sloppy for a couple of weeks, eat pizza on the floor if you don't have furniture yet, invite some friends over, cook some nice food, all that stuff. Don't be sloppy forever because we do have to get back on track and and do all that. Uh, But just enjoy it and yeah, that's all I would say. Mm. Now, you'll be fine, Lisa. Um, if your place does devalue, uh, chances are that it's going to go up again. It's just when you when you can't make the repayments is when there's an issue, as you said, with the cash flow. Yeah. Just make sure you can continue to and make remember, the repayments. And remember, Lisa, we didn't buy the property to sell next year. We bought the property to live in, yep. didn't we? Yep. And, and actually, just on that, the same correlation, people get their knickers in a knot when they say the, see the share price fall or the index go down and all that. They think, oh no, I bought shares. You've forgotten one thing and that is those shares are still producing income. Those shares are still paying dividends. People are still shopping at Woolworths. People are still banking at CBA and all that stuff. So sure, if your house does go down 5 or 10%, yeah, it, on paper it sucks but you're still getting the benefits of we've got our own house to live in and we've got to live somewhere. Yeah. And we know that we're not going to get a rent increase next week because we own it and we can paint that wall and mm. and have that psychological feeling of we own this. So Phoebe Snow, last question of the day, philosophical. How does one choose a career path with no genuine passion? As for do something you're good at, as I strongly believe I can be good at anything I put my mind to. I really want to invest in myself by upskilling or learning new skills, but I'm just not sure on what industry or what path to even go down. So if you're Phoebe's employer listening, she loves a job. She loves a career and all that. It's all good. Give her a pay rise. She loves it. And a challenge. So career crisis, probably like, I reckon I have this same crisis every freaking week. What is your occupation? I don't know. I like, Phoebe, the way you've said to you that you believe in yourself and that you can be good at anything you put your mind to because that's half the battle with people is lack of lack of confidence. So you, it doesn't seem that you lack any of that. So that's fantastic. Um, I would just th- write down two or three things that you are passionate about. You've got to have a passion about something. Like it's just it's uh, we're not mechanical robots we've got to have thoughts of uh, what what interests us so I'd just write them down and how can we turn a career out of that like how can we change industries and if it's not about the money it's just about the enjoyment then um, go and try some different jobs and and play around with that most people have five six seven eight jobs over their career so yeah don't be stuck in a job or an industry that you're not getting any enjoyment out of would be my minutes worth What I would finish with today, Phoebe, I think you're about to go through a big career change if you've already got a career uh, because you go, how does one choose a career path? So you might just be doing a few casual jobs and just floating around. So what I would say, or if you're at a current job or career and you want to change that, if you are going to go through this big career change or whatever, just make sure your finances are really lean and agile. If you're in consumer debt, just keep doing what you're doing, clean up your mess, get your spending plan under control, get a, an emergency fund. Because I get the passion thing. Like, I don't know. If someone said, what are you most passionate about? To be honest, I'm most passionate about Friday night having a pizza and eating some Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> but that doesn't pay the bills. So I, I get like, you know, with no genuine passion. But what it actually then goes down down to, there's a layer deeper, we need to actually go more about this value play. 
Like, what do you value in your life? Would you say that's a thing, John? It's very much a thing. Yeah. What? What do you? What mm. do you value? What do you prioritize? It is an interesting one. We could go on for years, and we probably need Shell to uh, chime in as well. So, um, and M just get across to my millennial career and have a have a listen to that. But yeah, so many different levels. We kind of announced uh, on. I did a little bonus on Friday last week, John. Uh, with Shell, we're just reading some funny stuff in the Facebook group. We kind of did a soft launch that Shell and I have basically just officially now softly telling everyone that we wrote the book, sort your career out and make more money. And this, the whole premise of this book, a lot of people go, oh, I'm in career crisis or I don't know what to do. And they jump online and they they look on seek. It's like the property thing, right? They jump online, look on real estate. So I want to buy a house. Jump on real estate. Okay, well, let's back up the truck. They jump online and fix their resume and start applying. But it, what we've done in the book, we've taken people. How is my segue into planting this question to talk about the book? Yeah, you plant them nicely. Fantastic, isn't it? Coffee, careers, it's all <laughs> been done today. I organically. gave you some property stuff. I gave you some property stuff. Yeah, I didn't um, spruik about my products. Well, you can after this. Yeah. But it, it all starts with values. So we're going to take people through the book to defining your values, getting your mindset right, really identifying your strengths and skills. We're talking about there might be a level of risk and need to take some risks. And then we're going to talk about building the career that you love. So this book, Phoebe Snow, it's for you. It's for anyone. And it's the prequel to sort your money out and get invested because there's no point doing what our anonymous questioner was saying about, oh, I've got 450 a week that I'm investing if you're not satisfied and you hate your job or your career because you need to nail that first so you've got more value out of life. You're on the right trajectory. I can't say that word, whatever that is, the T word. Trajectory, yeah. So mm. I just, and again, I'm reading this question to Phoebe and for everyone else rather to say, I get it. I When I was 25, I didn't like where I was at with my career. I was working Sydney commuting. I knew I didn't want to commute forever. It was just killing me mentally. And I, I had no idea what I wanted to do until my mentor. And I'll reiterate it here. I wrote a big one, big part of the sort your career out and make more money book. One of the chapters is basically my story of when I met my mentor and how he changed my mindset. And he said, well, why don't you just do what you're doing now, but for yourself? Yep. Like, it was literally right in front of me. I'm like, I'm not good at anything. I don't know anything. I don't know what to do. It's like, you're an associate advisor. Just do this for yourself. And I was like, oh, yeah, could do I'll that. Do, I'll do that. So, yeah, lots on mindset in that book, lots on taking risk, locks. Shell just goes so deep on values, heaps of stuff you can tick, and then you do an analysis. We do cost-benefit analysis to everything. So... Yeah. yeah, and we're just doing this stuff because one thing that's popping up more and more in the Facebook group are career-related questions. And one of the things last year's census, uh, I think the second or third thing was people wanted to make more money. Yeah. So yeah. we're just putting resources together for that. Well, when you look at it, it's a, it's a large portion of your week and your year, like 40 hours a week, 2,000 hours a year. It's a big portion to not enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bit like sleeping in an uncomfortable bed. Yeah, you're just not putting up with it. No. So, John, what do you do during the week? So, you rock up here, you do an hour a week here on this show, you probably do 10 minutes on the property podcast a week and everyone complains it's not long enough. So, <laughs> speaking of your own service, what do you do during the week? What's your businesses? What are your businesses? Uh, no, look, I, I don't want to plug anything today. I've just, I've like just fol- volunteered. It's the end of the episode. <laughs> Three people are listening. <laughs> Uh, no, look, when I, when I looked at Nick's question at the start of this, this uh, segment, I, looked, I thought we've got a sounding board that would have been perfect for that, but now it's too late. But mm. um, that the whole uh, look across um, 
20 properties, uh, get me to assess them, provide feedback, this is what we should be paying for it, et cetera, et cetera, and, and uh, then you can make an informed decision. So that's just one of our, I suppose, products that we offer to, to people outside who don't want to spend 15 grand on a buyer's agent. Um, for under 1,000, they can get uh, property reports, suburb reports, and some time on the phone with myself to go through um, what it is that they're, they're actually putting offers in on at the moment. Just gives them a bit more uh, mm. confidence to be able to pull the trigger, and and yeah, um, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and further to was it Lisa's um, pain, relief, excitement, pride, scary, mm. drastic change in their life. That again, that sort of stuff would be uh, shelled out in that. So yeah, jump on my website, solvewealth.com.au. There you go. Yeah, has Ben found me a property yet? Well. The flighty nature at which you operate in. <laughs> a week ago, he gave me some feedback and I haven't heard from you since in respect to whether you want to or don't want to. I gave you feedback or Ben? Well, both Ben gave me feedback on that market that you're buying in and said what, that- What did he say? There's some good opportunity in one of those suburbs <laughs> and yes, he can find off-market property for you but- like you, you're like a, a friend of mine that that says to me, "Oh, just get me a property." Like, just um, if you see a good property, can you just tell me? I'm like, "Well, we see good properties every day, but I don't." Like, have you even got finance? Right, I'll, I'll say it here for the record, right? Send me an invoice for buyer's advocacy service, right? All right, I'm being serious. Yeah, yeah. You look like it. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, give me a discount, obviously. Yeah. Uh, no, no, you're, you're good. I, I'm happy to pay the full 12 grand package. 13. <laughs> 13. <laughs> well, <there you> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm just going to net off that 13 grand throughout the next 12 months of host payments. Correct. Um, send me an invoice for buyer's advocacy services. Glenn James, buyer's uh, envisage property or whatever. Email that to me, right? Once I'm actually ready, I'll pay that fee. Do you do you want it all up front or do you payment plan with people? Uh, well, generally, 20% up front, remainder payable sure. on unconditional. Yeah. Yep. Send me the invoice for 20%, whatever. Send me an invoice. The moment I pay that and it appears in your bank account and when Amy's doing the books and she goes, oh, that invoice has been paid for the new client, Glenn James, it's go time, baby. <laughs> All right. All right. Also, your wife called me the other day and I'm laying in bed. It's like, I don't know, 8 a.m., 8.30 a.m., <laughs> 9 a.m., whatever. And it's like a call from Amy Pigeon. I'm like, why is she calling me? I'm like, has the bastard doll. died on me? Like, <laughs> I thought like he's dead. Something's happened. So I said to my, t I'm like, I don't answer calls when I'm laying in bed. Um, so I just ignored it. I'm like, oh, it must be urgent if she's calling me. <laughs> So you didn't answer it. Got out of bed, had a shower. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, we need a new host for the podcast. He's clearly <laughs> dead. Um, got in the car, drove, then called her back. I'm like, hey, what's up? And you weren't dead. No. This sort of turned into an after party. It did, didn't it? Yeah. All right. See you, everyone. Right up. Okay. Thanks. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.
that's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.